Welcome back. I'm Peter Alsop, and this is my Songs to Chew podcast. Today we're listening to Chapter 4 of my Family Roles album. It's a live concert I did at a conference called The Power of Laughter and Play for human service professionals and their clients. We've been going over the different roles that we can fall into in our family of origin, and we'll take a look at the lost child and the mascot today. And since I do so much talking during my live concert, I'll get right to it now. Here we go with Chapter 4 of Family Roles. Do you see how that is affirming to the kid? That they're, they're affirmed as their feelings, who they are. So we wrote this song because the lost children a lot of times just don't get time. You got a big clock. I've got a little clock too. Your clock's for your time. Your big clock pushes you. When you're in a hurry, my little clock's pushed aside. You make me use your clock. You don't care about my clock size. When your clock is ticking and everything changes, you haven't got time to explain. I have to use your time. You push me and pull me, and it never enters your brain that you got a big clock. I've got a little clock, too. My clock's for my time. Your clock's time is up to you. Your clock's important. It's bigger, it makes more noise. But my clock's important, though you think it's just a toy. You're only trying to help me feel better, at least that's what you say. But I feel angry, I don't feel better when my little clock's treated this way. Oh, you got a big clock. I've got a little clock too. I listen to your clock. Please listen to my little clock too. I've only got a little time. Do you have a little time? A little time on your big clock. That's all I want from you. Good work, Willa. That was wonderful. I want to read something for a second, because I was thinking about how hard it is to come back from being a lost child and working and stuff. It reminds me of what happens in families where religiosity is used to medicate. Sometimes kids are so deeply shamed and feel that they have no sense of worth at all. Um, Here, maybe this will be useful for you. I make a distinction between belief and faith. If this is useful for you, great. Use it. If not, chuck it. Let's say, if I hold a belief that every word in the Bible or the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita is true, by holding a belief and thinking of it in that way, I'm automatically positing that there's people outside my belief system, right? And that those, sometimes if they're outside of my belief system, they kind of are a threat to my belief system. So I kind of got to put this wall up around me. Where if I have faith in those words in the Bible or the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita. I have faith. It's dynamic and interactive. I can sit down and talk with someone, get new information and stuff like that and see how it's much more process-oriented. I got a poem by a woman named Rosita Perez I'd like to do for you. It's called The Newborn. It was 1963 and the three-week-old baby was turning blue in the bassinet, very obviously choking. My two-year-old was saying that she was sorry and crying and looking very scared. I removed a piece of ham from the baby's mouth. Her sister had been eating a sandwich and thought it was a good idea to share a little of what she had. For some reason, that reminds me of how I feel around people who are so publicly religious and self-righteous. They insist on force-feeding the rest of us their sustenance of meat 
when our digestive systems can only tolerate milk. <laughs> Maybe that's why we choke on it too. We are still newborn and need more time to develop, that's all. And it has little to do with calendar age. If they had faith in the source, they would know that the same illuminations that came to them will come to us when and if we need them enough to reach out. God doesn't play favorites. So you got dad drinking and mom enabling and the, uh, the, uh, the heroes running for office now and the uh, scapegoats in prison and the lost child's wandering around the East Village somewhere and the, uh, they have this last kid that comes in and this is the one that they call the mascot. This is the kid that comes into the families. They see all these babies. They have all their little paint boxes in great operating order and they come in and they, and they feel like something's wrong and say, gee, something feels funny here. But by this time, the family's fairly entrenched. They're familiar with what's expected of them in the family. So as in one voice, they say, no, no, there's nothing wrong with us. There must be something wrong with you. Right. This is called cognitive dissonance, folks. These are the kids that have a lot of trouble believing that what their feelings are have something to do with reality. And these are the kids that end up in our mental health systems a lot. These are also the kids that because they're the youngest one in the family, a lot of times the young kids do stuff that's socially inappropriate and everybody laughs. The family so badly needs to release some of this bottled up emotional stuff that they laugh. And the kid learns, hey, I can make these people laugh. I can get attention by being funny. Now we all probably know someone, you know when you felt a little tender about something, you want to share something with a friend or a family member and they can't let down, they got to just keep making fun of and joking and laughing and stuff like that? It tells you something about their inability to do that. And mascots have this a lot. I grew up in a family where we laughed a lot. We laughed all the time. But a lot of it was not safe laughter. An awful lot of it was ridicule, where it didn't feel safe. Okay? I'm going to a 12-step program now um, to get some help with some of this stuff, get some support. And what happens is when I go into these rooms and I talk to the people there, people start telling me stuff that they think is wrong with them. You know, when I listen, I go, well, gee, I do that. You know, what's wrong with that, you know, kind of thing. You were ever with a bunch of people that are all perfect and you know that you're not, you know, kind of thing? Doesn't feel real comfortable, does it? I don't think there's things wrong with any of us. I think we're all on our own paths and we're working stuff out and we just, there's some things we could change and do a little bit better. Nothing wrong with a little guilt and saying, well, we could fix that. So it's not we're wrong, we're just different. So I got, a matter of fact, I got a song. If you got something wrong with you, it's called, you're okay because I feel much more comfortable with you then. And we're going to do that one for you. It goes like this. Has dandruff. Our dog Homer has fleas. Scratch, scratch. Daddy's breath in the morning <sighs> smells like very old cheese. P.U. My big sister has pimples that just won't go away. Oh no, well, if something's wrong with you too, then you're okay. You're okay. What do you say? No need to make a fuss. If something's wrong with you too, then you're like. Let's try that, come on. You're okay, what do you say? No need to make a fuss. If something's wrong with you too, then you're. One more time, come on. You're okay, what do you say? No need to make a fuss. Good, there you go. If something's wrong with you too, then you're like us. Uncle Luke is grumpy, he never will say please. Oomph, Aunt Lois is much nicer, but her perfume makes me sneeze. Achoo! Sometimes when Mom gets angry, there's a bad word she will say. <gasps> well, if something's wrong with you too, then you're okay. Come on! You're okay, what do you say? No need to make a fuss. I hear you. If something's wrong with you too, then you're like us. Stephanie chews her fingernails, although she knows it's wrong. My brother thinks that he's too short and he thinks his tongue's too long. My tongue's too long. 
I'm big on my candy and I never get straight A's. Oh, well, if something's wrong with you too, then you're okay. Come on, let's do it. You're okay. What do you say? No need to make a fuss. Yeah. If something's wrong with you too, then you're like us. Now, if this song is boring you because you're not a clot and you never ever make mistakes and you're perfect just like God. Amen. That we won't call you snobby or tell you go away Cause hey, there's something wrong with you too So you're okay, come on You're okay, what do you say? No need to make them Put your hands together If something's wrong with you too Then you're like us So we say you're okay, what do you say? No need to make a fuss yeah. If something's wrong with you too Then you're like us Alright, good work So when we come from families with uneven parenting, where we learn that some of, our, some of our darker feelings aren't okay to feel, we stuff them down. We stuff them down. And as adults, those feelings keep coming up anyway, right? So what we do as adults is we medicate these feelings. And we use external substances. Well, what are some of your favorites? <laughs> Food. That always seems to be the first one out of here. Chocolate. Come on, some of you people are saying, I have no trouble with that. Come on, you've sat out in the living room, heard the haagen calling you from the kitchen, haven't you? I'm in here. You could just scrape a little off the top, you know. Food's a big one, you know. Sugar addiction. And, um, and uh, the, I used to say uh, alcohol and drugs, but it's not. It's alcohol and other drugs, because alcohol is a drug, folks. What are some other substances that we use to medicate ourselves? Work isn't a substance, though, but we'll talk about that in a second. Work. Uh, snacks. What? Nicotine. Cigarettes are a big one. Cigarettes. See, now, I'm not here. I go around the country. I talk to kids about this stuff. and grumps. I'm not here to tell you guys not to use drugs and not to medicate because that's not my job. That's up to you all to decide whether you want to. My, my suggestion is that we become choice makers, that what you do is when you feel like you want to do something that you know is medicating, Take a look at that red flag that's up and say, what's going on for me? Are there some feelings trying to come up that I don't want to look at? Because how else are we going to do this self-growth stuff, folks, unless we do that? Bookmark it if you want. Go ahead and have smoke that butt, whatever you need to do. But try and look for those red flags because that's the only way you're going to get out of that cycle. Does that make sense? That if you can start getting those knives out of our back, and that's scary work. It takes courage to do that. It's real hard stuff to do. So we've got prescription drugs and, and we've got caffeine and nicotine, all those outside substances. We also have stuff we call process addictions that are medicators. Those are the things that are, are see, we're walking around with this huge drugstore on our head, on our neck. It's called our brain. And it puts out stuff like, oh, norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin. And we can get a fix of that whenever we want just by thinking a certain thought or doing a certain activity. That's a real big one for me was work. Remember I told you about the chart on the wall? What, the spanking chart? It wasn't that long ago, was it? There's a... Yeah, see, what I did is I used to get all the stuff on my chart done. So, uh, so, so my dad came home, he wouldn't spank me. But then I'd have to stand there and watch my brothers and sisters get spanked. And that wasn't much fun, I'll tell you. Um, the message that I got in my family was that it wasn't okay for Peter just to be there as a human, human being in order for little Peter, this little cute little kid with, uh, with a cowlick and the ear sticking out a little bit, he had to do something to be okay in my family. I had to perform. I got to be what John Bradshaw calls a human doing. 
instead of a human being. And now when I stand around and I don't do anything, when I try and experience serenity, I know that I've heard that word, like, serenity, what's that? Well, I know other people seem to have it, those guys in India and junk, you know. I, you know. I figured I ought to be able to try to experience that. What happens is I feel like I'm not worth anything, like no one's going to love me if I don't do something to perform, because that's what I learned, you see? I'm the kind of guy that has a real great, I have a ton, big project I'm working on, knocking myself out with this project, right? And, and, and I, I'm dying, so I've got to take a vacation, this is just killing me, you know, and I'm going to be done with it in one day, right? And the day before I finish, I take on two more projects, you all know, sound familiar? I walk around with this bag of work in case I have three minutes with nothing to do, I can take something out and do it. Don't you? Some of you have those bags, don't you? you know, one arm's longer than the other from lugging this thing around with you. Because what happens is I get scared. I'm afraid that if I got five minutes to sit by myself, that some of these feelings might come up. You see how those knives drive my life? So work is a real big one for me. And on top of it, I just thought of this the other day. You know what my parents used to do to punish me? When, they, when I did something wrong, they'd make me sit in a chair and not do anything. So now when I sit quietly, not only do I feel like I'm not worth anything, I feel like I did something wrong. You know, there's... <laughs> Green paper addiction. You all know how, you know how good it feels when you make a lot of money? No, you're in human services. You don't know that feeling. There's a... Well, don't you think Donald Trump was probably trying to medicate something there? You know, I mean, what do you need all that for, you know? And, and I remember one time somebody offered me more money than I'd ever made before, and I was feeling great, you know, zippity, driving along, and I realized I had been real depressed before this, you know? Look at the power I'm giving money over my feelings. When I got it, I feel great, but you know what's going to happen? Sometime I'm not going to have it, and look what happens to my feelings. Uh, gambling is another green paper addiction. I've got a friend, he says he was sitting, sitting in his living room, you know, the house is paid for, his wife's baking Sunday morning in the, in the kitchen, it's the trees are, are, are blowing in the wind out, sunny day, the birds in the trees, and the little kids are healthy, they're playing on the floor, and he's watching a football game, he says he's dying inside. He feels like he's dying. He's just sitting there, he can't stand it. He gets on the phone, he calls his bookie, makes a bet on the game, you know, kill those guys, kill them, you know. He grew up in a family where excitement, you know, where norepinephrine and dopamine rush was happening all the time in his family. And now when he doesn't have it, he can't stand it. He feels like stuff's going to come up, so he's got to create some more havoc. You all know people that like to create havoc? Yeah. And, and so that's what happens. It's, it's, it isn't pleasant necessarily, but it's familiar to us. Oh, another green paper addiction. When you're feeling lousy, let's go. Oh, you knew that one. Yeah. yeah they do. The, uh, that's a big one. Some people have to tear up their, their cards. Huh? See, stuff like this, stuff like working, like sex, like, like eating, See, you can't just stop that stuff, but you can look and watch for your red flags when you're acting out compulsively or obsessively. That's when you need to take a look at it, because like any other addiction, folks, even though it's coming from our brain, like any other addiction, it's progressive, and it gets worse and worse, and sooner and sooner or later, what you've been doing to medicate the feelings aren't enough, so you gotta do a little bit more of it and a little bit more, okay? And I just wanna encourage you to be choice makers. Let's talk, what else? Um, Exercise is a big one, you know. Sleeping for some people is a medicator that you can kind of get the serotonin kind of calm that happens. I mentioned sex. Sex is a huge medicator. And I don't just mean sex, I mean seduction. The eyes across the room. Some of us guys that, that go out and have affairs, or maybe we just flirt all the time. Maybe some of you women, maybe you don't sleep with some. Maybe your old boyfriend calls up, you know, kind of thing. And you're not, you don't need to tell your husband he's coming down. You're not gonna do anything. You're just gonna have lunch with him, but you got a new dress. And you're thinking about it for six or seven months, you know, kind of thing before he shows up, you know. And anytime your husband's a jerk, he say, yeah, well, Bob's coming for lunch, you know. Well. See, it's like I could take this razor blade and say, look, I'm gonna cut the back of your leg. But don't worry, I'll put some medication on it so you won't feel it. But you go, but Peter, if I don't feel it, I might bleed to death. I think a lot of us are bleeding to death emotionally. 
I think there's a lot of us in this room that have had long-term relationships where there's no intimacy. What we've got instead is an arrangement. We work well with the kids and we get along with each other and we're scared to leave. We're scared to go to our partners and say, you know, I love you very much and I want to have some intimacy with you in my life. I want you to be a safe place for me and me to be a safe place for you and I know we're going to have to work on that, but I deserve it and I'm real scared to tell you this, but I deserve it and if we can't do it together, I want to try as hard as I can. If we can't do it, I'm going to find it somewhere else. That's scary, but I think that's going on for a lot of us and it has to do with, again, medicating. Has this been helpful for some of you, maybe? You know, I hope so. I hope we can revisit some of your work. Because the areas that I don't have much time left, I've got time for a couple more songs, but, but the areas that are the most difficult to, to deal with, you know, are like um, full of feelings of like death and loss issues and, and sex. And since I don't have a lot of time, I'll give you a choice. Do you want to hear a song about death or one about sex? <laughs> How did I know you were going to say that? There's... Okay, we'll do this. This is a real easy one. This is, one, this is my first non-sexist kid song I ever wrote, okay? You can just join in on the chorus of this one. You'll love this one. It's sweeping the Montessori schools of the country, okay? Let's stop here for today. Next week, we'll talk and sing a bit about the medicators we like to use. Rosita Perez's poem, The Newborn, was used with her permission. She's also got a collection of her wonderful poems in her book, The Music Is You, which you can find on Amazon.com. Thanks to my beloved daughter, Willow Gear Alsop, for singing My Little Clock. A video of that song was made by Diane Gates, a dear friend, and the inspiration and Contributor is one of the team that put together our In the Hospital project. All you have to do is drop me an email at peter at peteralsop.com, and I'll send you a link. Next week, we'll wrap up Family Roles with our final chapter five. I'll be here. Hope you will, too. Please remember to share this podcast link, peteralsop.podbean.com, with friends if you think they might enjoy it, or very least, if you think they might find some information here that could help them live a more balanced, loving life. Bye for now. I'm Peter Alsop. We'll see you next week.